Good morning and welcome to those of you who I have not yet seen. I'm glad you could join. I would uh, like to say a few things about topics I, I consider timeless. They're the topics of attention, of intention, and of the notion of contemplation. Intention and attention are both qualities of mind that are part of the five universal factors. That means they are occurring in every moment of our experience. Um, and in many ways, intention and attention is where our practice starts with, and it's where we uh, can set off in an efficient, in a wholesome, and in an oriented way. So, beginning a sitting, beginning a session of meditation practice with the clarified intention is, is very precious. If we are not clear in our intentions, then generally our learning proceeds in much slower ways, because we have to figure out along the way what we actually wanted in the first place. If we can clarify what we intend to do, or what we have decided is needed, um, then with such a starting intention, uh, what we meet along the way is understood much more clearly. If we have no clarity of our intention, then the direction of our practice is unlikely to be very uh, progressing uh, swiftly. So, how does that work? How does intention and attention work together? Both of these factors are part of any moment's experience, together with contact, together with um, perception, together with feeling tone. We have at any moment of our experience as part of a meditator's kit, if you will, we have a quality of attention that takes place and a quality of intention that takes place. Now, just because of this stuff is happening all the time, it doesn't necessarily mean we know it all the time. We can be blissfully unaware of our intentions. There's a part of our um, clarification around these functions of mind, of attending and of intending, is to p become aware of what actually takes place. Uh, so what is actually happening? And that is already my, my first practice suggestion, which is the simple question, what's happening? Yeah. What's happening? And then we can get in touch with the feeling tone of it. What's happening? How does it feel? Is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? Uh, 
And then we can get in touch with the intentional aspect of it. What, what is wanted? What does it want? What is needed? What do I want? You know, those would all be questions shedding some light from slightly different vantage points onto um, the quality of intention. So that's where our greatest competence comes from, knowing our intentions. That's where our trust can come in, trusting our intentions. Some of our intentions are probably not trustworthy, so it's better we know them and we know to keep them apart. This exercise is traditionally called contemplation, which is a very old word. The templum comes from the Romans. It's a job of a Roman official to observe what's happening in the templum. So our word temple comes from that. And the uh, observation of a Roman official, an augur, was to look for signs that speak of the auspiciousness of an intended activity. Those weren't local shamans, those were paid Roman officials, just to be clear. They they had the job of looking at signs. Most of the time these signs were bird movements, either in the sky, this was the templum was the designated area, if you think of that beautiful cupola above you here. We have a, a very architectural echo of that old concept of templum. And whatever moved in that area was considered to be a sign. And it was understood that this indicates something about the auspiciousness of a particular activity. In fact, the very word auspiciousness comes from the same job. Well, it means actually viewing the birds. Auspiciousness. Auspicio. So our language, language echoes the old notion of setting up an area designated for contemplation and looking very closely at what's going on in this area so that we can understand the signs in there. Attention, Manasikara, as one of the factors of the five universal qualities of mind or mind, uh, the experience of mind at any moment. Attention is of great value and it is rated as the key quality in Buddhist mind training to understand, to liberate and to still the very mind it originates in. So attention generally is trained in two directions. One direction is Temporal, it means we learn to associate the mind with a object, or maybe more precisely with a process, and we learn to follow that process in continuity. We stick with one thing. We, when it moves, the, the attention follows that movement. It is capable of not getting lost, and it is capable of staying with. Yeah. 
So we follow the breath, we follow the arising, the intensification, the subsiding and the final ceasing of an, of an event in our mind, a thought, an image, a body sensation. We contemplate that outside as the nature of sensory experience, the changes in weather, uh, the changing appearance of our face in the mirror as we grow older. There are many ways in which we can follow one process or one object in such a way continually. And the ideal of that type of practice is arriving at object constancy, arriving at a place where we can stay with the chosen object and meticulously associate with and investigate into the nature of our chosen object or of our chosen process. Sooner or later, this object or this process will reveal the lakanas, the characteristics of experience, of all experience, impermanence, conditionality, and the pain that goes with it, and impersonality. The other branch of training, of attention, is not about temporal continuity, it is about spatial stability. We establish an area of awareness. We establish a type of field attention, and we're trying to stabilize that field. So rather than connecting our attention to an object and moving with that object, which allows us to investigate very minutely the changes of that object, we establish a field of attention, or maybe more precisely, a field of awareness. And in that field, which we try to stabilize, in that field many things arise, show their characteristics, and cease again. And this type of attention has as an ideal spatial stability. It means it doesn't collapse, it doesn't shrink to the size of the actual experience, but it stays bigger than the experience. It envelops the individual events in our mind, and the clarity of that field and the stability of that field of awareness does not collapse anymore. It is object-independent. Both of these forms of attention have great value in uh, Buddhist meditation. Both of them have been taught by the Buddha. Both of them can be found in many Buddhist traditions. Burmese corner is a bit more famous for object constancy, uh, temporal continuity practices, and uh, Tibetan Dzogchen is a bit more famous for the latter spatial stability type of practice. But actually, if you look closely into the Buddha's teaching, you can find them right there in the earliest teachings we have of the Buddha. They're not the prerogative of a particular tradition. They're right there at the beginning. In fact, they find their root in the very teaching on mindfulness, which is uh, if attention is the plebeian and mindfulness is the kind of the royal version of um, 
a trained type of attention and an attention that is infused with welcoming qualities, that is in infused with wholesome qualities and that has a fluid mobility. So I'd like you to consider what your intentions are. Intentions come in many colors and shapes and some of them are declared, some of them are vaguely declared and some of them are blithely un unconscious. It's important to understand that we can have unconscious intentions. There are things we want without us knowing that we want them. One of the implications of this is that Buddhist teaching is very clear. There is no, no type of attention that is not in some form intentional, that is not in some form connected with our faculty of will. The mildest form of that intention is the intention to redirect the focus of our mind to the present moment. If we don't hold the intention to stay in the present moment, then generally what goes on in our mind is a sort of drift. It starts with a sound, with a thought, with an idea, and then it moves off from that trigger point into more and more story. And the story has less and less to do with the thing it started off with, the sound, the vision, the image, and more and more with our personal biography. In other words, the associative, associative drift that sets in, in our mind upon sensory impingement is a story that deals more and more with me and less and less with the world. So the longer I think about something, the somehow the more unreliable that thinking becomes. The greatest degree of veracity I can obtain at the moment of contact, when there is touch, when my sensations are immediate, and when my perceptions have not yet completely occluded them. The one form of practice in Buddhist mind training is that we keep going against this drift. We keep redirecting the mind's focus back to the present experience. Much of that needs our intention. It doesn't come natural. What comes natural is I see something I like and I want to go there I want to look at it, I want to sniff it out, I want to taste it, I want to keep it, I want to think about it. Rather than understanding my relationship, namely my experience of deficiency, the attraction this exerts on me, how I hold the tension of this attraction, what it does when I suspend judgment, what it does when I don't follow that attraction, 
looking whether the attraction diminishes, looking whether the attraction moves away. This would be introspective questions. Instead of doing this, I just want to go over and eat it, or I just want to have it, or I want to keep it, or I want to look at it, or I want to own it. So the task of contemplation and introspection goes against the grain. It means I have to produce some type of energy to not simply follow my immediate inclinations, which generally are about safety, are about gratification, and are about stimulation. So if I want to understand my relationship to something, I need to learn, with the help of my intentions, to clarify what's taking place between me and this experience. And usually that means going a little bit against the grain. It feels counterintuitive. It feels no fun. I have to look. I have to feel more deeply. I have to hold. I have to be allowing that this touches me without me jumping into it. So that's where intention comes in. Attention is what takes place and the questions that go with it. What is there? How does it feel? Can I stay with it? Can I be in relationship to it? Intentions goes with the questions. What do I want? What is needed? What can be learned here? So please consider these modes of attending to something. Consider what sounds familiar in what I say here and consider also what sounds not familiar. This it is not so important what your opinion about this is. It is important that you recognize these facets of attending, both temporal, continuity, being with something with a highly precious capacity, and spatial, establishing a spacious field of awareness in which experience can take place and manifest its characteristics. Equally precious, equally um, necessary of encouragement and training. In both cases, establishing the intention is crucial. What do I do now? What is my precise exercise? That is plan A. What do I do if my attention has moved off to something else? Am I willing to go back to plan A? How long does it take before I am going back to plan A? How do I respond when I notice I am not actually attentive to the declared exercise? Am I justifying? I'll just finish this thought and then I'll go back. It just feels this must be important. Since it comes up, it must be important. So I just follow it for a while. Or it just feels so nice. Can't it be, can't be bad if it feels so nice, isn't it? It's been very organic in its appearance.
So plan B is our willingness to stick to plan A. Plan B is our strategy for what we notice when we notice that we don't do what we have agreed with ourselves. So, sitting down, finding an exercise you have chosen, and some of you are doing quite different exercises, entails not just clarity of your intention, what your exercise is, it entails also clarity of your intention, what you do when you find out you're not doing this exercise. Maybe you have the thought you don't need to do exercises, just establish the natural mind. Uh, If you can do that, I congratulate you and bow my head. Most people I know need uh, structured exercises to find out what's natural. Not everything that is natural is necessarily easy. I don't have children and I certainly haven't given birth to a child, which I am told is quite a natural process, but it doesn't seem to be easy all the time. So not everything that is natural means it's utterly effortless. So most people need to find some orientation to find back to the natural power of their minds. So consider your attentional patterns, consider your intentions, and if not, affirm intentions you have understood to be useful and wholesome. Affirm the intentions that you know are helpful in your practice. Let us practice well.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.